Welcome to The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. Together, we will journey through self-discovery and fulfillment in life. Here's your host, Jan Jones. Welcome, everyone, to The Good Good Life. I am your host, Jan Jones, and of course, I am so excited that you are choosing to spend this time with me today. I am so grateful for your time and for your support of our show, The Good Good Life. So I want you all to take a deep breath. I know life gets hectic. I like for everyone to just try to calm the noise and be here with me during this time. So take a deep breath with me and let it out slowly. Ah, don't you just feel the world kind of washing off your shoulders now? Do a little shoulder roll, turn your head, whatever you need to do um, to relax and to really enjoy this good, good life. You know, I got a question for you. Are you awake, alert, alive, enthusiastic? Because we have got such an incredible show today. I know I, I'm I'm so honored that the guest we have has joined us, and I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. But I want to know if you've been claiming what I asked you to claim in last episode. Are you really thinking about it? Something good is going to happen to me today, and something good is going to happen through me today. We can always find a way to be a blessing to others, and that's really being something or something that's good that's happening to us when we are good to others, and it's all about this good, good life, right? So I want to introduce you now to Lou Burdett, and I'm going to read a little bit about who he is because he is an incredible person. So here we go. I want to introduce you to my guest, Lou Burdett. Lou Burdett of Birmingham, Alabama, has been the president of King's Home, we'll call KH since October of 2002. King's Home operates 21 long-term residential group homes across central Alabama and Birmingham area for youth, women, and children who are victims of abuse, neglect, abandonment, and homelessness. Before joining the KH team, Lou founded Kindred in 1998, which was a Christian retail superstore in Birmingham, where he was president and CEO. Prior to Kindred, Lou enjoyed a 13-year career with Books A Million, holding several executive management positions, including executive vice president and chief operating officer, as well as serving on Books A Million board of directors. He also served Florence First United Methodist Church, as its director of Christian education in the early 1980s. In 2022, Lou was grateful to have the opportunity to run for governor of Alabama, an endeavor that was filled with wonderful memories and deeper appreciation 
for the people of this amazing state of Alabama. And we were so glad that you ran, Lou. Lou brings to King's Home experience in business operations, strategic planning, financial expertise, and human resource management. He is the whole business package, right? But here is another extremely interesting and inspirational point about Lou. As the victim of a violent crime himself as a teenager, Lou's desire to help serve the needs of hurting and abused youth, women, and children fleeing from domestic violence is fueled by his servant's heart. At KH, residents can heal from their devastating past, find hope, and discover new opportunities in life. And isn't that really what life is all about? What it brings day to day and all the opportunities that we might miss if we're not paying attention. So Lou, welcome, welcome to the show. Hey, Jan, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Well, we are the ones that are honored, and I know that all of the listeners are going to be so inspired and blessed by your visit to the show today. So before I get into a few questions for Lou, you know, if you noticed the title that I gave today's show, I called it down, but not out, overcoming defeat. Now, I think that's interesting, that phrase down, but not out, because we've probably all used it before. And it's actually from the world of boxing. And what it really means is you're temporarily incapacitated, but you are not permanently defeated. And, you know, I think we have all been through times in our life where we just were not sure we had any fight left. Those seasons that you feel down and maybe you feel permanently down, but you somehow got up. And you began to fight again. And I know you got up because you are here today and you are listening to this podcast. So Lou and I have talked about this in the past that every single one of us has a story or multiple stories of survival. And we do not let the challenges in life destroy us. Instead, We let it help define who we are, our character, our strength, the impact that we want to have on others in this world. And when you hear Lou's story of survival, you are going to feel completely hopeful, totally inspired, and you are going to know that you do not have to let your pain use you. You can use that pain for something 
much more powerful and impactful and positive in this world. So, Lou, I'm going to quit talking now because you're the reason that people are listening today. And I would love for you um, to go back to that experience of that crime that was committed against you. And I'm not giving any details because I want you to share the whole story with our listeners and what happened on that night. Wow, Jan, it is when you say go back to that night and it's just really as vivid now as it was almost 50 years ago, which I can't believe. Um, wow. It was uh, uh, December 27th, 1974. I was leaving my dad's grocery store, small East Alabama town, Roanoke. Uh, nobody knows where that is. Uh, very tiny town. and um, But loved growing up there. I wouldn't give anything for growing up in a small town, uh, small town values and, and great school and friends and church and just wonderful life. And I was leaving work that night. Uh, two days after Christmas and um, crossed a dark, deserted back alley street behind my dad's store. Two guys approached me in the middle of the street, pulled a gun on me, forced me into their car uh, and off we went. And it happened about that fast. And it was such a surreal experience to grow up in this, you know, sleepy small town and two guys uh, approach you in the street, pull a gun on you and force you into their car. and. Um, you know, at that point, I didn't, uh, I didn't think uh, things were going to go um, uh, in a bad direction. They started asking me if my dad, small town grocery store owner, could get them two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that night, like he had cash sitting around ready for them to pick up. And I knew this wasn't a good plan. And they kept driving. Uh, of course, like I said, Roanoke's already in a rural part of Alabama, and and when you leave the city limits, uh, you, you know, you're in the country. And we kept on going further than that uh, down a dirt road. And we were in the boondocks, <laughs> mm. and, uh, really in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so they continue to tell me they're kidnapping me for ransom. They have to get this $250,000 that night. And uh, as we go down this dirt road, they pull over park. Again, have the gun pointed at me the whole time, tell me to get out, force me out uh, to walk uh, off this dirt road up into the woods. And at that point, I still didn't think anything bad was going to happen. But within seconds, they bash in the back of my head with the butt end of the gun, split my head open, blood gushing, almost knocks me out. I drop to the ground, of course. Uh, like I said, almost lose consciousness. And then within just a few more seconds, one of the guy's fist slams into my chest. And immediately I feel a sharp, piercing pain. I feel blood spilling out over uh, my stomach and clothes and know that I've been stabbed. I roll over and they stab me three more times in my back. And then they start dragging me, Jan. And I'm wondering, you know, we're already in the middle of nowhere. So where are they dragging me to? And that was confusing, but but within a few more seconds, and all this was happening so fast, so surreal experience. And all of a sudden, I'm falling because one guy's dragging me on one side, one's on the other. They have me under my armpits, and and sort of they sort of dump me over. And I think, okay, would well, they dump me over some little ledge or some little hill or something? But I keep falling, and what they have dumped me in 
is an old water well. Um, 30 feet under the ground, splash, uh, I land in the water uh, in the bottom of this well. When you So when you say uh, down and out, I was definitely down. <laughs> wow. And, and the amazing thing is that like you said, it has it's happening so fast. Yeah. I mean, they they grabbed you instantly with a gun. You're driving and driving and driving. They're asking for completely unrealistic, you know, demands with this huge amount of money. And it's late at night. And then they just basically are slowly trying to kill you with head wounds and stabs, and then throwing you into a well. And of course, they weren't finished. Uh, right. Was, I want to know what happened next. There were broken up pieces of foundation. And so this came out in the trial. I didn't know at the time, but they dumped these boulders, if you will, on top of me. There were huge chunks of broken up pieces of concrete. And they said later at the trial that they were trying to cover me up. And so these, uh, you know, 20 pound, 25 pound, 15 pound chunks of debris, concrete brick uh, were dumped on top of me. And it, Jan, it was like a sledgehammer just pounding me in the back of my head and back. And they would shine the flashlight on me um, and they knew that that wasn't really working. And so they began to shoot at me in the bottom of this well. And of course, um, you know, there's nowhere to go. I'm a rat in a barrel, right? And so can't dodge a bullet. And uh, so the first shot uh, misses. It hits right between my legs. Second shot misses. It hits right beside me to my right uh, in the well. And it's like this awful game of Russia, Russian roulette, you know, almost where you're just wondering, like, which which bullet is going to tear into me? And third shot misses. The fourth doesn't. They shoot me right in the back of the head. Um, and then at that point, they did leave me for dead. Oh, I, I mean, I am I am speechless with what all you have been through and what all these two guys did to you. And down in a well, 30 feet down, and you have been stabbed three times, right? Four times. Four times you have been, your head is bashed open and now you have been shot in the back of your head. I, this is, I'm speechless and it's the kind of stuff that movies are made of, but this was no movie. This was your life. So tell us what, what happened next? What you know, what were you feeling? What I mean, I hope the listeners are understanding what a miracle it is that you are here today and that God delivered you from that. So tell us the rest of this story. Yeah, it is God's story for sure. I appreciate, you, you know, I appreciate your approach with that because it's definitely God's story. It's not my story. Uh, there's no way I should have survived. There's no way I should have lived through that. It's... Um, uh, People have uh, actually my medical files have been studied by the University of Alabama Hospital in Birmingham uh, to try to determine how how did Lou survive that uh, experience? Because obviously losing a lot of blood, obviously in severe shock. 
uh, all of the wounds that um, punctured lung of one of the stab wounds. And so lots of medical issues going on with collapsed lung and loss of blood and, and severe shock and the trauma of it. And just a flood of emotions, Jan, as a 15-year-old kid, uh, you know, trying to wrap my head around just a few minutes ago, I was leaving my dad's store and now I'm fighting for my life and and believing that really my life is over and to wrap, try to wrap my head around that and to grapple with those emotions because I was I was exploded with every emotion imaginable, just the deep despondence and sadness of thinking, wow, I mean, a few minutes ago, I was living in this wonderful town with wonderful friends and school and church and, and fun and sports. And life couldn't be better as a 15-year-old teenager uh, in Roanoke. And now this and life is going to end. And that's truly what I believed. I, I believed with all my heart life was going to end in the bottom of that well and, and just struggling with those emotions and crying out to God, you know, why me, God? Why is this in... You know, Jen, we've all had those why me God moments, right? We all have. We've all experienced pain and suffering and disappointment and loss. We all have. And we're all a survivor of something. We've all been down and out at times in our life. And, and you did that so beautifully in the introduction is what do you do with that? How do you learn from that? How do you grow from that? And, and so we can wrap that into King's Home later with what our youth and moms and kids have been through because they've experienced that same kind of trauma, different uh, certainly than what I went through. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm crying out to God. Why me, God? Why is this happening to me to not believe that there was any way out? Of course, I tried. I put my feet against one side of the well, my back against the other. I would try to scooch you up. I was scratching. I was clawing. I was pushing. I was pulling. You know, anything that I could think of to try to get out and nothing was working. There was just no way out. And um, so at some point, I was in the bottom of that well about two hours. And at some point, I, I began to think, you, you know, this is a silly way to die. If I'm going to die in the bottom of this well, why am I questioning God? You know, wh why am I struggling? Am I, there's no way. And so I sort of surrendered at that point. You know, and I began to reflect on what a great life I had lived, if only for 15 years. And what came to mind was uh, one thing, certainly many, but one thing that came to mind was when I was a little kid, my mom made me, made me go to a Bible memory class uh, as an elementary kid. And Jan, I was the only boy of about 12 girls. Occasionally, there may be one or two other guys that would join in. But every Monday afternoon, we had to go memorize Bible verses. And not only verses, but complete chapters. And I started remembering that and appreciating the life that I had lived. And I started reciting those Bible verses out loud in the bottom of that well. And one that I recited was the 23rd Psalm, because that one always meant the most to me. I've always loved the 23rd Psalm as a little kid, memorizing that. And when I got to verse four, when it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. And I knew at that moment, there was a peace over me, 
And I quit worrying about dying so much. I still believed I was going to die in the bottom of that well. But I knew, I knew in my heart that he was with me. And I quit worrying about dying so much from that point forward. I mean, first of all, you know, you pick up on this fact that our lives can change in an instant. When we least expect it. I mean, you said it. I was just leaving work from my dad's store. And then your life was completely turned upside down. And another another thing that I'm really picking up on from your story is that surrender. You were fighting. You were clawing your way up that well and to no avail. And you knew your injuries were were life-threatening. I mean, the fact that medical professionals have studied and studied your records with real no explanation, no scientific explanation as to why you lived through that. But as believers, we know that God saved you, but it took you surrendering. And you know, I also am thinking about the fact that you did not want to go memorize all that scripture, but your mother made you and God knew you were going to need that peace one day. He knew that 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 was going to calm your spirit in the absolute most horrific situation imaginable, you know, because I believe that when we stay calm, in the storm, then we have authority over the storm. It's not the storm that is taking control of us. And that calmness only comes from the Lord. So tell us, I mean, we are on the edge of our seats because we want to know what did you do after you were able to surrender? And the the fact that you went straight to gratitude for your young, short life, you know, the friends that you had, the experiences you had had up to that age of 15, you know, your your whole your whole mindset shifted in that well. So that what was, happened after that, after that pivotal moment? And, and I, obviously that was God at work. You know, that wasn't me, <laughs> um, you, you know, to help help me help steer that, uh, you know, in me. And, and I share so many life lessons from the well, if you will. Um, and, and there's so many. I mean, it is it, what I've learned from that experience um, has been so valuable to me throughout life. But one of them definitely is that when we're the weakest, Second Corinthians 12, 9, when we're the weakest, he's the strongest. And that was such a valuable lesson that I learned from that experience by, you know, having God's word in my heart, being able to recite that, getting to that verse four and knowing that he was with me in the 23rd Psalm. And that meant so much. And and, and so then, like you say, to surrender, uh, knowing that he was sovereign in control and still believing that I was going to die. Jan, I was so near death, even at that point, that I didn't have the strength to sit up straight. It in the bottom of this well was water up to my about my chest, and it was like it was this thick mud and muck, and it was like quicksand. I would get all mired up in it, 
And then I would slip under the water. I'd almost lose consciousness. And I really thought that's how I was going to die. I thought that I would just slip under. I'd lose consciousness. I'd pass out. I'd slip under the water. I'd drown. And that would be it. I mean, that was my thought process during that because I was so weak, I couldn't sit up straight and I would slide under the water. And one of those times that I slid under the water, and sometimes I would just hold my mouth out of the water because I couldn't, I didn't have the strength to get up even out of the water. And so I just hold my mouth out of the water to be able to breathe. Mm. And one of these times that I was trying to get back up out of this muck and mire, I put my hand up and it went in a hole in the side of this, in the side of the well. And I thought, well, that's good. I can, I can hold on to, uh, you know, that and, and at least I'll be able to sit up straight a little bit longer. And then I began to wonder, you know, God, is there a way that I can get my foot in that hole? And I didn't think so because it was above me. I didn't feel like I could, I could get my foot. I certainly didn't think I had the strength to do that. And then what, you know, but I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to see if God, please, you know, and I'm praying constantly. God, please give me the strength with every ounce of energy, you know, please give me the strength. Please give me a way to get my foot in that hole. It felt contorted to even try to get my foot. I, he did. He gave me that when we're the weakest, he's the strongest, unexplainable, got my foot in that hole. Then I found another hole. Then I found mm-hmm. another hole. But they were so contorted, like one would be way up here and one would be way up here and one might be easy to get my foot in. And I was just feeling my way in the dark because, I mean, I'm in a I'm in 30 feet under the ground in a dark, uh, dark hole, dark well. Um, mm-hmm. and asking God, please help me find that next hole. Help me find that next way uh, until he gave me the strength to get out. I tumbled out the top of that well and certainly was relieved to be out of there. But still, even at that point, Jan, I didn't believe I was going to survive. I still thought, well, my thought process even then was, was well, at least, um, you know, being up here out of the well is better than being in the well. And um, and again, I just keep praying because down this dirt road about a mile back up, um, there was a shack uh, and it had lights on and cars outside. And I said, God, is there a way you can give me the strength to get back up to that shack? And for the next two hours, so I was two hours in the well. And for the next two hours, I I crawled and occasionally could take a step or two or three uh, back up this dirt road. So I crawled back up this dirt road for two hours um, uh, to make it to that shack. When I got within about 40 yards, I thought, I just can't go another inch. I was in the ditch. Um, hey, and we've all found ourselves in a ditch too, right? Along the way in life. And, and I was, and I was lying in this ditch 40 yards from the front door of the shack. And I hear a car coming, boom, 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 boom. And it sounded like the same car that those guys were driving and a loud muffler. And it was out on the highway. It was on the paved road. Um, I'm in front of the shack on the dirt road. And I'm just praying, God, please give me a way to get up on to that shack, you know, to get up because it was a little hill there, a little rise. Um, and he did some kind of way. I'm beating on that door like crazy because that car sounds like it's getting closer and closer and closer. And so I'm beating on the door. Of course, you can imagine what I look like 
blood and muck and mud and wet. You know, I look like some drunk, drug crazed lunatic. And so when they opened the door, that's what they thought. I mean, who's this stranger kid, you know, trying to get in? I said, no, I've been shot and stabbed and somebody tried to kill me. I need help. And they were trying to push me out of the door. I fell in so they couldn't push me up and literally crawled in as they were trying to push me out. This car pulls up in the driveway. There was a pot belly stove next to the left wall of it. And I see it and I am freezing and shaking uncontrollably. And so I crawl over to that pot belly stove to get in, get warm. And in walks those two guys right behind me that had kidnapped me. And where I had crawled into was one of the guys. This was the grandmother's house of one of the guys. The mom was there, other relatives, because it was two days after Christmas, and this family was having an after-Christmas family gathering. There was about 12 people or so, and, you know, one of these guys was supposed to have been there all this time. And so here I am in this, again, this surreal experience telling, you know, now screaming out, those are the guys that tried to kill me, and here family members are watching all this unfold. You have beat you beat all the odds getting out of this well, being shot, stabbed, you know, head busted open, and then you end up at the home of the people that actually did this to you. What was the response that the family had when you were screaming, these are the guys that just tried to kill me? Of course, they were in shock, too. Uh, uh, Unbelievable, really, to to them. You know, what in the world is going on here? And there was an off-duty security guard from Atlanta that had married into this family. Like I said, they were having an after-Christmas family gathering. He was there and sort of took control of the situation, began to try to get me help. Thankfully, those two guys ran. At the trial, they said they thought they saw a ghost. They didn't really believe it was me um, because they they thought I was dead. Um, so thankfully, they turn around and run. I knew that I have no idea where I am. I have no idea this is family. And I never knew it till the next like two weeks later that where I had crawled into was a was a family member. And so, you know, they're in shock. And like I said, this off-duty security guard sort of took control. And I knew something wasn't right because nobody was trying to help me uh, except for him. They wouldn't even bring a, a, a blanket out to, to cover me. I mean, I'm shaking uncontrollably, freezing, you know, wet, you know, December. Um, and finally I ask, you know, do you have anything you can cover me up with? I'm, I'm freezing, you know, lying next to this pot belly stove. So, um, and they brought out really what were rag sheets that, that they put on me. One guy put his thumb on my chest because he could tell I was, you know, bleeding profusely from the stab wound in my chest. And like I said, had a punctured lung. He finally put his thumb uh, and, and hand on to compress that area. Um, and, and, and get this, Jan, this place, this shack was so remote. When I say it's in the boondocks, it took two hours for the ambulance and the county sheriff to find us. 
where this was. So I waited two more hours for an ambulance. It was just God at work, you know, through this whole experience. Eventually, two hours later, I get to the emergency room. It, I was in the emergency room about two more hours of trying to put me back together again and, and save my life. And the doctor told my parents uh, after all of that was over. So, um, you know, that Lou has about a 10%, 5 or 10% chance to live through the night. At this point, it was 2 o'clock in the morning because I remember, never forget when I when I finally get into this ICU uh, intensive care room, there was a clock on the wall up there, and I looked up, and it was about 2 o'clock um, on that wall. And um, that's really the last thing I remember that night. But he told my parents he's got about a 5 to 10% chance to live through the night. Even if he does, he's lost all this blood. I'd, I'd receive transfusions and blood transfusions, but he said, you know, even if he makes it through the night, he's lost all this blood. He's in severe shock. He's got this collapsed one lung. There's going to be infection. There's going to be pneumonia. He's just going to be too weak to survive. And Jan at about, and I never knew this until a year ago, and I was so astounded. And it's just, again, how God continues to unveil sort of this story, I was with my brother and sister, and uh, we were just having a family lunch together. And for some reason, this story came up, and not story, but event, and we started talking about it. And and um, my brother said, oh, yeah, me and Ken, the, the youth director from our church, I was very close to, he said, yeah, Ken and I, we, we came into your room because we talked about this 2.30 time frame. He said, yeah, that's about right, because Ken and I came into your room about 3.30 and prayed for you. We laid hands on you and prayed for you. And I said, you did what? I said, how can almost 50 years pass and you've never told me that before? Neither did Ken ever tell me that. And and he said, yeah, we, we came in and prayed for you. Jan, there's no doubt in my mind that God was reminding me that through that whole experience, that not only did he save me from that experience, we're the weakest, he's the strongest, but that he's a healing God too. And that in that moment, he healed me because I had no pneumonia, I had no infection, and I was out of the hospital in about two weeks. And I did the same thing to Ken as I did my brother. I called him, I hadn't talked to Ken in, in 50 years. I found him on Facebook, on social media, and I contacted him and I said, my brother says, that y'all came and laid hands and prayed for me at 3.30 that morning. Is that true? You know, I want it verified. And he said, yeah. And I said, Ken, how could y'all have never told me that? But it was so important to me now to realize that's God's healing touch, the power of prayer. Yes, yes. I mean, amen, Lou. I'm, I'm sitting here just enthralled in this story of survival that that you have lived through and there are so many many messages but one thing that that I really want to remind our listeners and you you lived this in that well when you found that first hole that you could put your hand and your feet in and then you would find another one and it was all contorted and difficult, but God made a way. He, he, he let you find that first 
hole in the wall of that well and and then to protect you and have that one off-duty security officer that stepped into action with the the family of the people that tried to kill you it just takes that one person the hands and feet of god that can save your life by doing god's work in you you know and that healing touch that god is the strongest when we are the weakest and that power of prayer and you know just just calling out to save us and people that you didn't even know were laying hands on you you didn't know at the time that they were doing that and that touch and feeling that presence it's 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 just incredible it is remarkable and it is such an incredible reminder to us all that when we feel down and I can't, I, I know, I mean, over and over, you're like, this is it. This is the end of my life. And God said, no, it is not. And it just proves your strength through the Lord. And when we get up and fight and when we know who is in control and we can surrender that is when we see so many powerful miracles. Your story is just full and full and full of miracles. And I want to um, take a short little break. We can all catch our breath. We know that Lou is alive and well, and he is serving this world in such a mighty way. So let's take a short, short break, because when we come back, we're going to talk about that way that God led you, the path that he made for you to now be with King's Home. So don't go anywhere, everyone. We will be right back with Lou Burdett. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready to ignite your passion and purpose for life? Make sure you join Jan Jones each week for the Good Good Life podcast. Each week, Jan will share her expertise and insights into personal development as well as spiritual growth discoveries. From the challenges in the valleys to the victories on the mountaintops, Jan has persevered through all of them with unwavering faith and joy. Life is full of possibilities, and Jan wants to walk with you as you discover those possibilities and unleash your full potential. Rekindle the spark inside of you and rejoice in the good, good life with Jan Jones, where we will all love living and live loving. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
enrich your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to The Good, Good Life with Jan Jones. If you have a question or want to share your story with Jan or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jan. Welcome back, everyone. If you have been listening, this is quite an incredible testimony that we are hearing from my guest today, Lou Burdett, and his story of survival of a a truly violent crime where someone tried to kill him in multiple ways. So um, it's, it's just it leaves you speechless, but it's also such a true uh, testimony and story of how God is always at work. And he is truly saving us from so many things in our lives, big and small. Um, you know, God sent his son on the ultimate rescue mission, right? To save us from our sin. But I want to talk about now. After we're all like, we were all just holding our breath while Lou told his story, we can all breathe a little easier now because Lou is now playing a huge part in other people's survival story and impacting so many lives and offering that hope and that great uh, future of opportunities. I, I I saw this quote and it made me think of you, Lou, and it was by Lou Holtz. And he said, show me someone who has done something worthwhile and I'll show you someone who has overcome adversity. And I just thought, wow, talking about someone that is doing something truly worthwhile, I want our listeners to hear about King's Home. This is where you are right now. You are president and CEO. Tell our listeners what this is, you know, your path to joining them from all of the amazing corporate work that you did. So just fill us in on King's Home. Yeah, such an honor, Jan, to be a part of King's Home team here. Uh, God's blessed me to be here over 20 years now. I can't believe, it seems like yesterday, I can't believe I've been here 20 years. And and what residents have shared with me over and over and over again is what you just said. It's what, when I, Mr. Lou, when I came to King's Home, I had no hope. Uh, I, I had no hope because I was being beaten with boat paddles every day, which was a real experience. I had no hope uh, because the horrific abuse of my mom and dad making me have sex with my brother um, and, the, and the sexual abuse that, that that brother and sister, and we had both of those kids here with us at, at one point in time when uh, in, through our my 20-year history here. Uh, another young lady said, I had no hope, Mr. Lou, because uh, my mom was an addict and she left me and my little sister literally starving at home. And all I needed to do was start walking down the road and and took my little sister and hoped that I would find help somewhere along the way. And she did and ended up at, at King's home. And we picked up a, a young mom and in an entrance to a Walmart store. We had one mom that the abuse was so bad that she got on a bus in Montana with $400 in her pocket. And she rode that bus as far as she 
could make it and ended up in Montgomery. And somebody had said, hey, call King's home. They'll come get you. And we did in the middle of the night at about two o'clock in the morning. So those are real life circumstances of youth and moms and kids that have come to us at King's home who truly had no hope. And and so, you know, I, I, I want to share with our residents and do share with our residents that we're all overcomers of something. We're all survivors of something. We've all been down and out. We've all been in the ditch before. And and so what do we do with that? And, and do we grow from it? And do we learn from it? Um, and so that's my encouragement to our residents at King's Home is, is in sharing this this story that, that God gave me in, in being kidnapped and shot and stabbed and thrown in a well at 15 years old, um, that we've all been through really traumatic things in life. Um, like we talked about earlier, we've all experienced this pain and suffering, disappointment and loss in life. But we can learn from that. We can grow from that. And also what we share with every resident at King's Home, Jan, is Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan and a hope and a future for your life. If you live it with him, that's the first step, right? Just what you shared a minute ago. You know, that's the first step. Are you are you walking with him? Have you made that commitment? Because that's what it takes to then journey with God so that he can do these amazing things through us when we're the weakest. Uh, he is the strongest to help heal us from that pain that we have experienced, from that trauma that we have experienced. How do we heal from that? Because all of our residents, 98% have experienced really horrible abuse. So they have to heal from that. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's our encouragement while they're with us at King's Home and, and to fi- find hope and opportunity in life. Mm. And, you know, I think that word hope is just one of the most powerful words because if you think about it, hope is the only emotion that is stronger than fear. And if you feel hopeless, then you're going to just go with this downward spiral of the fear and the sadness and the depression and the, there's no way that I'll ever get out of this. But when you can find that spark of hope that there is something better, that I am a child of God, that I do have a purpose, God has a plan for me. But there are people, we get caught in the wake of other people's bad decisions, their abuse, you know, their abandonment, and it plays on us. But when we can pull ourselves out, right, and, and, and that's what King's Home does. It helps people pull out of the muck and the mire. You know, I keep thinking about lessons from the well. You know, I mean, there are so many that we can sit here and dissect that you learn that you are now bringing forward and, and letting others, you know, learn from what you took away. So that hope is so important. You know, right. how, what, what kinds of resources and, and what kinds of programs are there at King's Home? Because this is such an amazing organization that, that people can get involved with, right? Oh, absolutely. Hey, we're like any nonprofit. We need all the help that we can get. Uh, so uh, I appreciate that. But yeah, we're heavily therapeutic because of the deep wounds that our residents have experienced. 
and the need for healing, we have a horse therapy program. We have 14 horses um, that we, but not only for us, Jan, we have well-housed women who are coming out of human trafficking. We have a, a, a men's recovery program that comes to us in our equine program. So we also reach out to other ministries to help their residents come uh, heal from their circumstances also. So we do that in our equine program. We have a therapeutic horticulture program, a garden program. Um, we have a hundred laying hens. And, and so we teach life lessons. We don't have hens and flowers and, and herbs and vegetables and fruits just to have them. We're teaching real life healing lessons, biblical application with what we call sessions, life les lesson uh, sessions that we have about an hour in length where they do experience healing. We had one young man that that connected with this horse that was not a favorite horse, um, very temperamental, wasn't a fun horse. It was an ugly horse because he had scars all over him. It's a rescue horse. And finally, our director of the equine program said, why are you so attracted to this one horse? And he lifted his shirt and he said, because I have the same scars that he has. His whole stomach and back were where he had been burned with cigarette uh, burns his whole life up until this point. And he was scarred all over. And he said, you know, this horse has the same scars I do. And it was a breakthrough moment for that kid. And he ended up accepting Christ as his savior. But that, you know, you never know how God's going to work. We have a pottery program. We do all of these things to help our residents recover, heal, and find hope and opportunity and move on in life. Mm. Okay, so it's hard for me to talk after that story. And, you know, these are the kinds of of stories and, and the people behind this abuse um, that you're able to witness and, and see that healing. And I can't imagine how powerful that is. Look, I have experienced my own personal healing through God's miracles in my life. And, and like you said, we all have these stories of survival. But when you hear this kind of abuse, it does make you so grateful if you grew up in a loving home because not everyone had that opportunity. And the, the fact that you give them a safe home, that King's home is safe for these residents. And, you know, something else that really stood out to me, Lou, is that it's a community of nonprofit. It's a community of service. Like you open up that horse farm with 14 horses. That's amazing. To other ministries, because the goal is just healing. You want people to heal. Tell us about, you know, some of those partnerships and and what you've seen. And, you know, I, I do, I, I want to say this. I, I read somewhere that part of really getting over serious trauma is definitely your network around you, but it's also needing to have a feeling that you aren't completely powerless. And, you know, I, I read that somewhere, but I feel like what King's Home does is it does empower individuals 
Tell us about that empowerment that you see and that you offer. I'm glad you brought that up because I tell everybody we are not a hangout program at King's Home uh, with up to 200 residents that we have at any given time. Um, you know, that's a, that's a lot of people, but, but we're, we're not, we're here to help in the journey along the way. You know, we're standing in the gap with our residents and that's what we share. It's a little bit of tough love. When you come to King's Home, you're setting goals, you know, job, job training, continuing education. Of course, our kids is to, you know, they're behind in school. We're trying to get them teenagers, get them caught up in school. And so those are important goals for our teenagers that are in the youth homes and our adult moms with children fleeing domestic violence. And Jan, like you say, to, to show them that there is, that they can be in a safe, loving home because that's first. And they're going to find a safe, loving home at King's Home to begin to heal and then see, yes, there is hope. There is opportunity. I can, uh, uh, I can dream big. We had one mom that came to us, horrible abuse. And she ended up getting her master's in accounting at the University of Alabama. And, you know, so you can do anything that you're empowered to do, which is a theme of our pottery program where our moms work. And it's fun to see God at work. Oh, I love it. It, it. it is an empowering feeling. And Lou, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I mean, I know we have just scratched the surface, but I hope everyone is as inspired and moved as I am hearing all about you and King's Home. I, I want to leave everyone with something that is entering into my mind right now. It's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's what Lou is creating with King's Home. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Lou, for your graciousness and being here. And I hope everyone has an incredible week, enjoying this good, good life where you love living and live loving. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Good, Good Life with Jan Jones. We hope today was meaningful for your personal journey. We'll be back next week. Until then, continue to love living and live loving.